you know, I was raising him for three years, and 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 then I, the reason why I just I thought, okay, I'm gonna I want to have a kid because I like I like what it brings out of me, you know, I like who I am. That's a part of myself that I want to get to know better. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. By joining the book club, you get all new Haymarket titles delivered to your door and a 50% discount on the entire Haymarket website, all for one low price. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. If you really want to help us out, rate and review the podcast on Apple or whatever platform you're listening on. Hello, everyone. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to this wonderful discussion of Waiting in the Wings, Portrait of a Queer Motherhood by Cherie Moraga. So important, such a wonderful piece of work, and I'm so excited and honored to be here. My name is Marta Gonzalez. I am a Chicana, Artivista, I'm also a mother of a young son. Um, I'm an uh, associate professor at Scripps College. I'm an artist, a singer, a songwriter. And, um, and I'm a fan of Sheree Moraga. Um, I am so honored to be, have been invited to do this. And um, thank you. Thank you so much, Sheree. Thank you for having me. <laughs> should mention your latest honoring. <laughs> what is the latest honoring? A ver, este, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a scholar. I'm, I, I'm an associate professor at Scripps College for the Intercollegiate uh, Department of Chicano Latino Studies and a newly minted MacArthur Fellow. So, yeah, that's a, it, it's a big deal. It's crazy. <laughs> it's a big deal. It's great. I'm very happy for you. Thank I'm proud you. of you. If I can say that, I'm really proud of you. It's really great. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That means so much to me. But I want to, uh, today we're going to, um, before we start, um, I'm going to introduce you in, uh, in this wonderful um, short bio. There's so much more to this, I know. Uh, but um, I'm going to read the short bio, and then I'm going to um, uh, talk a little bit about the format. Uh, today, we're going to, some of the format that we're going to do is uh, um, uh, we're going to have our discussion. I have some questions, some thoughts about the themes, about this wonderful work. And then um, just so that folks out there that are watching either on YouTube or um, in other platforms, um, I think it's mostly YouTube, right? Uh, and Facebook. Um, if you can all, if you have questions throughout, we welcome these questions. Please write them in the chat and we will receive them. And uh, if we have time, and hopefully we actually, we will make time to get to them at some point. And so, um, all right. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Well, first, <laughs> let me read a little bit about Sheree Moraga, which we have here in front of us. Um, Sheree Moraga is an internationally recognized poet, an essayist, and a playwright whose professional life began in 1981 with her co-editorship 
of the groundbreaking feminist anthology, This Bridge Called My Back, writing by radical women of color. Wonderful book, uh, anthology. The author of several collections of her own writings, including A Chicana Codex of Changing Consciousness, Loving in the Warriors, and of course, what we are discussing today, Waiting in the Wings, Portrait of Queer Motherhood. Moraga is the recipient of the United States Artist Rockefeller Fellowship for Literature and the American Studies Association Lifetime Achievement Award. Among numerous other honors, as a dramatist, her awards include an NEA Two Fun for New American Plays Awards and the Penn West Award. In 2017, Moraga's most recent play, The Mathematics of Love, premiered at Brava Theater Center in San Francisco. In the fall of 2017, she began her tenure as a professor in the Department of English at the University of California, Santa Barbara, where, with her artistic partner, Celia Herrera Rodriguez, she founded Las Maestras Center, Chicana ex Indigenous Thought, Art, and Social Praxis. Her most recent work, Native Country of the Heart, a memoir, was published by Farrar, Strauss, and Giroux. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot of stuff, Cherie. <laughs> yeah, por eso estoy cansada. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're going to talk a lot about cansancio, as they say. But I'm, I'm coming to you from, from uh, you know, uh, from Tongva uh, region. Of course, I want to acknowledge that uh, um, the Tongva and their way of life have experienced a great deal of violence. And uh, the Tongva region in particular that I'm speaking to you from is, uh, is um, uh, El Sereno, California, Northeast LA. And again, it's such an honor to be here with you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, and I, I'm, I'm here in uh, Chumashlan, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. Chumash, the coastal Chumash that you see Santa Barbara right now. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. So I've, I've, um, um, we are discussing this wonderful memoir, uh, "Waiting in the Wings: Portrait of Queer Motherhood," um, because it's the 25th anniversary edition with the new afterword from Rafael Angel Moraga, your son. Um, it has the preface. It includes a preface, a prologue three parts and an epilogue for a total of 121 amazing pages mm -hmm. that are brilliant. And uh, uh, the brilliance and importance of this work, which was first published in 1993, speak about so many different things. Queer motherhood, of course, is at the center, but really it's a discussion on death, on life, susto or fear, time, artistry, expression. And of course, it really situates us in the discussions you had at the time in terms of gender identity, which is distinct from our current time and how folks talk about it now. And so it's such an important work in this sense uh, for many reasons, all of those reasons and, and more so. But, but I would like to start there. Um, tell us how uh, it's distinct in these ways from the present, gender identity, the terms and the languages that are used now and how you won't as you say, won't give up the A <laughs> in your identity. Yeah. Well, um, I think that I actually, 
I think maybe if this is okay, I want to read a little section of it because I think I say it better there than I could come up with it now. Yes, if please. That's okay in the intro. Um, I think it probably contextualizes things better. Um, so the heart of the, I think the heart of the issue, you know, is, uh, well, I'll just begin here. The experience in these pages matters in the repertoire of queer literatures. Because the mandate of art, and I'd like to believe, this is on 11, uh, Roman numeral 11, I'd like to believe queer art especially is to account for unspoken truths in which the equations do not always add up. Like so many others, my queerness has never added up exactly into neat categories of sex, gender, and sexuality. And yet it has shaped who I am every step of the way, including throughout nearly three decades of mothering. My female sex was determined at birth, and I rebelled against its socialization to the degree possible as an utterly tomboy child, followed by a suffering closeted trans terrified and woman lusting adolescence, to eventually emerge into a butch identified adult lesbian. This is old and common language, but true to my experience coming of age in the late 1960s. What I hadn't realized was the degree to which my self-perception as a butch lesbian would be so profoundly impacted by the somatic act of motherhood, the hormonal changes, the breastfeeding, the adrenaline fight for my son's survival. I have never been able to forget, nor would I want to forget what was learned there. Birthing confirmed for me on an utterly corporal level that female sex in no way requires one to present as a woman in the socialized sense of the word. It viscerally reminded me that female is simply biological and that I had a right to that biology in my own gendered version of it, should I so choose. For me, my anatomical sex wasn't wrong. The world is wrong about any gendered imposition on that sex something intersex people have long publicly asserted. It is also a feminist and queer right to insist that womanhood, in whatever way one understands it, including us trans women, matters politically in a misogynist world, thus keeping the A. It remains in a press class among humans as we walk in our gendered and for women of color racially marked bodies every day of our lives. Oh, I know it is all more complicated than this, but I got a taste of what it is like to experience the female animal I am, and it was something I took hold of toward the whole of me. Perhaps this is what trans folk have been trying to teach us all along, their rightful entitlement with the aid of hormones and surgery for some to get the biological sex quote unquote right in order to experience that same wholeness of being. So that, you know, there's a little, you know, I taught Keir Lord, there's a, there was little gender transphoria mm -hmm. in my experience. Perhaps it speaks to my place on the gender spectrum. Mm -hmm. And then I say discussions on relationship between biological sex and gender continue to evolve as does my understanding. And so I think, you know, 25, I could never have written that 25 years ago. 
That wasn't yeah. the conversation, you know. Right, I right. think that, that when I was, um, you know, and I, and I know what we're going to talk about, uh, um, my son's uh, precipitous coming, you know, he's very premature. So that's what, obviously, that that's really the main sort of arc of this book. But, but it starts with me just as, you know, re- I always thought as a child, you know, once I realized I was a lesbian, I thought I'd never have children. Mm-hmm. Because that's what happened in those days. You just didn't. Lesbians mm-hmm. didn't have children. The only way we became mothers is by, um, you know, our relationships with what we saw as femme-identified women, more femme-identified women, who um, uh, had their children from marriages they had left, and that was right. the world I grew up in. I also grew up in a world in which um, trans identity. When I said I was trans, terrified. It meant that I knew as a little girl that I was very, very male identified, completely identified with boys, you know, mm. and and um, and and I knew that was wrong. I felt that really wrong. And I also grew up very Catholic. So I felt that I was the devil incarnate. I believe I was horrified by the idea that I had this secret. And the first time I saw a picture, actually, of a trans woman, my heart was like, because they say in the. In the caption, this is a trans woman. They don't even use that term. Transvest, they call them transsexuals, right? Mm. And I go, is that me? Even though it was a, you know, male to female, I thought, well, there's a, the female to male. Mm. I mean, these were hor- They were they. Uh, it was a, a horror period for many, many years of my life. Mm-hmm. And so, so this process of, a, you know, really a new generation, multiple generations, because, you know, I, I've been a lesbian for over 40 years, like that uh, trying to like trying to do the double think. And the double think is I do know something about that. Mm-hmm. Like nobody can just because I'm presenting as I am, you know, whatever. I do know something about that terror. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and as an artist, it's my obligation to say I know some things. And mm. even if I don't have the appropriate language, particularly my generation, you right. know, does not have it unless you're teaching. You know, we got it because we're teaching. We're dealing with young right. people. But if you're just in the life, they're, don't, they're not talking that way. And exactly. so my obligation as a public thinker is to be constantly sort of, you know, crossing that divide, trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth and at the same time not be liberal, but, mm. honest, you know, so it's been a road, you know, but I, I, I really appreciate re-looking at this book. There's a lot of um, uh, yeah. footnotes that say, yes. now I know this and now I know that, but I think it's really important because as I also say in the intro, for many, many queer people, it is still 1965, you know, or 19, right. you know, when I, about in the 50, I was born in 1952. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's what's important is that if you're really good to me, particularly, I, I feel like as a, you know, a Chicana and, you know, thinking of my own people and our Catholicism and the, all of this stuff, I'm writing for them. I'm writing for the ones who still feel like it's 1952. So I think that the job is sort of, and also, of course, you're in conversation um, you know, with LBGTQ thinking, right. you know, which my critique of it have often been that it's it's pretty white centric, Eurocentric. Right. So anyway, right. I'll stop there. Right. Beautiful. No, well, I really appreciate that. You know, uh, the footnotes are 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 very helpful. Number one, but I think it's also really important. So you didn't change any part. Uh, just for the record, you didn't change any part of the original 
actual piece, right? Other than the footnotes, right? Um, yeah, well, um, the preface is all new. Uh, that's what yeah. I just read from. Exactly. And um, yeah, mostly, you know, uh, yeah. I mean, I think if I did that, like, I mean, there may have been a word or two. I don't remember because I also am okay. fixing the writing. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, it's like as a writer, if I think yeah. I can say a little better, a little clearer, I did that yeah. kind of editing, definitely. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's just beautiful, and yeah, the footnotes are really a bit, but yeah, the, it's changed so much, and I and I see, I see that, and you're right, as uh, educators of young people, uh, and how they educate us on how the ways in which they're thinking. But you're absolutely right that for some folks, they're still uh, back in the day. You know, we've learned a lot, but um, they're back in the day. So. Um, so, as you mentioned earlier, you know, this work is about queer mothering, but mostly, as you've said as well, is um, it's a meditation on death and dying. So, can you say, I, we're going to talk about it throughout, but can you just mention a little bit about that? Well, I think that, you know, the most, I never thought, I, I was not presum presumptuous enough to think that just because I have a kid, I could write a book about queer mothering, you know, <laughs> and and so what what really initiated the book was what I learned in the first three years of my son's life because he was born very premature, um, frighteningly so. You know, he was like two and a half pounds and um, so about, I, I don't know, like more than three months premature. And he was, you know, I had him natural childbirth and all of that, you know, uh, and, uh, but then, um, there was he caught an infection that's pretty um, common among preemies, and that became life-threatening. So for three and a half months, he went through two surgeries, and it was an intestinal thing. And so for three and a half months, there was just this constant state, you know, as we say, susto, right? Just being afraid, you know, of um, him being in the hospital. And uh, so he was born in July, and he didn't come out of the hospital until October. So that, what I, what, you know, and I said, you know, this book is about, it's really not about Rafael, it's really about me. And what I learned, and I, um, and partly the, the most significant part is, I think, is that when you're in this creative, when you're, it's creative, right, to give birth. And, and uh, so you're so close to that life, and for that to be threatened. So the relationship between life and death was so close for me. It um, changed my life forever, you know, yeah. and, you know, and it, there's a certain way in that, you know, I'm um, ever grateful, not for his suffering, but which still is hard for me. Right. You know, but I'm very, very grateful that, you know, like you feel like these people come into your life, they're like these spirits, they change your life, you know. So, and I really experienced that thing about also and spiritually that, that when babies are born, they come in with history. Right. And I knew it. And no one was, you know, it's like, particularly when they're that small, you go, they still got history. I was just like, it was, there's so much that I learned in that time, you know, and almost, you know, it's almost so selfish to say, you know, it was because of this on a certain level, not his intended sacrifice, but the universe did that. You know, the universe decided this. And he has his own, you know, he has his own road, which I very much respect. And so, as I'm saying, it's about me. But but the death in that, so so it is really also um, 
uh, my relationship also, like I turned to different, I really turned a lot to Buddhist practice and thinking mm -hmm. and try to help me understand, um, you know, like the, the tenets, you know, the biggest tenets, which is, you know, we will all grow old, you know, and we will all get ill at some point and we will all die, you know. And so mm -hmm. how do you live with that conscientia? So for me, it, 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 it radically changed my life in terms of my decisions about, you know, how I would walk in this world and with whom I would walk in this world and what is my work, you know. Mm. So um, that, so that's wh why it's this meditation, you know. And I, and I felt like when I was really, because they all began sort of as journal entries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I filled in kind of the hardest parts later because it was too hard at the time to write. But, but you know, the whole time the, the, that, it's like that meditation. So that's why I called it a meditation because it was yeah. so much about the journals, right? So it's like, right. I, what does it mean? What does it mean? Wake up, wake up, Cherie. It was just like, wake up, you mm. know? And and I think, you know, on some level, that's what they meant by woke, but it doesn't seem so. <laughs> this is like, wake up. You know, and that's what, you know, um, I, you know, I do meditate some and some, I'm not the best meditator in the world, but it's not, it's not even, it's not about religion. It's about these mm -hmm non-western practices that that tell us that you know that there's life is more than a progressive plot line you right. know? And, right yeah that's beautiful yeah there are so many moments like that in it where you know it's a kind of it brings there's nothing like motherhood to bring you into your body and and to be present in a way that's so um visceral right um and and I should have asked this before, actually. I think I jumped ahead, but um, um, you know, even before, as you said, um, Rafael Angel, which is the name of your son, uh, was of course, um, as fo so folks know, um, he came into this world. He was a whisper. You really wanted to be a mother, and this really, as I'm reading this, and a queer motherhood. I take for granted, of course, my heterosexual privilege, you know, where it's like, okay, let's have a baby, you know, and <laughs> all the ways in which you created your queer familia, you know, with these wonderful people that helped you conceive, right? So, but the deseo of wanting, as you mentioned, to become a mother um, is also an ongoing theme, right? El deseo or desire, the deseo de ser madre, uh, uh, queer deseo, deseo de vivir, or que viva tu hijo, right? El deseo, to talk about the different deseos. Um, I'd like to talk about the different kinds of deseos that are, are, are throughout the piece. Well, I think that, you know, I, I'm, right now I'm working on um, re-looking at some of my earliest texts for, for publication next year, Loving in the War Years and, and Last Generation. Mm. And and the sales through the whole thing, you know, and I think because um, as a queer person and, and as somebody that knew she was queer from so young and also that I experienced it somatically, I felt desire pretty young and nobody I didn't know what that was about. Right. But but that the association was it then that when it informed a certain intelligence that I have. If that makes any sense, that that I couldn't, since my body had information that I didn't, that I did not cognitively understand, except to put, call it sin or to call it, you know, whatever. 
so so but that then so then my task as a young person in order to be able to live and i'm not and i'm saying that honestly i wasn't i was never suicidal and i always sort of on a certain level credit that to the fact that I'm working class. <laughs> it was like, I don't know why I say that, but it's like, you know, like, no, that's not a possible, we don't kill ourselves. You know what I mean? That notion, right? Yeah. My mother's, yeah. you know, she's, <laughs> no, she used to say to me, what are you doing? Cause I'd be like, you know, I'd be like trying to keep the impure thoughts out of my head. I mean, literally like this, you know? And she wow. goes, ¿Qué estás And I go, oh, no, 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 no. She goes, you know, you think about God too much. You're going to go crazy. That was my mother's help, you know? Because <laughs> I was going crazy. <laughs> But, but the point being is that it was such, it is like, and that's what I said before, that is, you know, as being somebody that, you know, wrote La Huera. La Huera is, is that my queerness was the way I knew that we were not free. That's what I, how I learned it first, you know. So queer for me, if, if it was an intellectual thing, that'd be different. But it wasn't. It was desire. It was desire. I I loved, you know, I loved women. I loved their bodies. I mean, you know, I mean, I enjoy men too, you know. But that, it wasn't that. It was like I knew that that, that is where my deepest, um, the integrity of my desire and where that would connect with me then intellectually and spiritually and all that resided in me. And so... Um, so I feel that, so if you look at the early writing, I remember uh, Ivan Yarubejaran did early criticism of my work, mm-hmm. and she said, you know how much you use hands and mouth in your, in your, <laughs> now your plays in your, you know, in your work, right, in, the, yeah. in all my writing, and I think, uh, you know, obviously, um, so desire then, you know, years ago I, I wrote the thing, the only, the only hungers I've ever known is the hunger for sex and the hunger for freedom. Mm. And when I said sex, I don't mean just literal sex, you know what I'm saying? But that that kind of consummation, right? And um, I remember at this commie meeting, they almost threw me out of the, <laughs> out, of the out of the hall because they, they interpreted that as me saying that all I cared about was orgasms, which right. was like far off the point, you know, like, yeah. well, you've never been hungry to be free as a as a as a as a sexual person, right? Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that these are all heterosexual women of color, and they almost threw me out. And it was like, but I said, but I also said freedom. Yeah. So isn't this all connected? Isn't we're just trying to figure out where where are prisons and how to how to open those doors? You know. Right. So that's so the book is like that. So that so right. the desire then, but the the feeling that I mean you're so right because the mother element is something un, uh, like I felt that of course from my mother, you know, who was my like kind of my first love in that sense. Mm-hmm. But as a mother, that desire will not let you go. You know, your desire meaning like wanting good for them, wanting the best for them, wanting them yeah. not to suffer. So when I yes. started out, seeing my son suffer was like hell. Yeah. You know, I mean, I saw them, you know, pumping his chest. You know. Yeah. And it, and it's like you're you're going. This is not. And so you when you find and I have you know a dear friend of mine who lost her daughter at for the daughter was like forty something. And, <laughs> You know, it's like that she had her whole life with it, you know, and it, it was like, it was, that's always say, your children aren't supposed to go before you. 
because it's unnatural, <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah. and that's the greatest suffering. I, you know, we know people have lost their babies, I mean, different things. And so those are all, um, so the, that desire, um, you know, for, for, and it's something you can't control. Yeah. Right? Because if they're another human being and no matter what you, you know, we make mistakes as parents and, and we do, we have great, we also offer great gifts, you know, yeah. but, but that, uh, that's something that I think is with you for your whole life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Well, maybe not all, I don't know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I really, it just like, uh, to read all the beautiful passages of your desire, like to, to have number one, to dream your son and to have him. Uh, well, well, let me, let me go back to the part where you, you conceive uh, through a beautiful family, the beautiful moment. Um, but then when you find out you will have a son, right. Um, uh, a male, right. And the conflict you feel when you find out, well, number one, you're relieved that he's healthy, right that he's going to be okay, that the chromosomes are all there, yeah. um, and right, because you're four years old, right? Um, and that's like a fear we have. I was a mother at 32, so I know what you're, that feeling, right, when you find out everything's good, you're yeah. you okay, yeah. right? And then it was like, oh, my God. And then when I found out it was a boy, it was like, oh, it's great, right? And can you talk a little bit about that conflict, feeling that, knowing that he, his sex was a boy, you know? And so, anyhow, well, he see, was that part, and that's what I'm saying is that's one of those footnotes, right? Because, right. Right. because you know, one of the footnotes I said, it, it wasn't about, I did not have a presumption about him being a boy, how he was supposed to behave. You know, I'm right. queer, so I didn't think, oh, man, now he's going to be lost, he's going to be straight, or he's, I didn't assume yeah. any of those things, right? Yeah. So yeah. it wasn't that. So it's at it, the end of page 10, and I don't know, it's the footnote. Do you, do you? Is it okay if you read the footnote for us? So Sure. Yeah. Uh, on page 10? Page 10 at the very bottom. Yeah. Okay. In rereading this journal entry 25 years later, I was struck by how fixed my notion of gender may sound in relationship to the sex of the fetus. However, what prompts my initial disappointment at the news of my baby's sex had less to do with his biology and more to my own worry over what I had suffered as a queer female under patriarchy by the hands of men. I honestly never presumed the sex of the fetus would determine their presentation of gender. I had known too many queers along the full spectrum of gender expression in my own life to think otherwise. Mm -hmm. So it was really, you know, like, I mean, in, when I was with, you know, pregnant with Raphael and I had gone to a ceremony, my, I was sitting there in ceremony and, in, and he's in, you know, the, the baby's in my womb, and I had just gotten the news. I'm praying, do not let what I have suffered in relationship to some key men in my in my family, you know, like my father, mm -hmm. my brother, like, mm -hmm. and other things that have happened. That do not let that poison my love for my son. Mm -hmm. And I knew I wasn't going to, but it's me. It's about me, right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So you're praying, just free me of that. And that was what I was really worried about. And what was really beautiful about it is that, you know, at some, some point, Ricardo, Ricardo Bracho says to me, he says, he goes, you've loved women your whole life, Sheree. Yeah. Yes, which is really beautiful. And he says, and now you have a chance to do it with your son. And that has proven so true, you yeah. know, really proven true. And not only, you know, 
this son, but my, you know, my partner, my partner of 25 years now, you know, her her sons and all of it, <laughs> grandchildren, great grandchildren, they're all over. And right. so that there's a generosity. It feels good. That feels good. You know. Yeah. So. One of the uh, other things, I love so many things about this work. One of the other things is that I've read very little other than, you know, books uh, on uh, gestation and pregnancy, you know, but never in a poetic sense have I ever really read uh, somebody describe the corporeal, like, experience of being pregnant, you know, mm-hmm. and how that's connected to spirituality and the, the mindfulness of, of, like, moving forward, wishing the baby, talking to the baby, like all of these different, the ways in which you do it in the corporeal sense. Um, can you read the top of page 14 and can we um, um, react to this and talk a little bit about it? You did your homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So is it my body is not in this room? Yes. Okay. Because I don't know if my version is exactly the same as yours is why I'm asking. Oh, right, right, right. Um, yes, that's the part. Okay. And then, um, yes, yes. Start okay. there. Just that italicized part? Okay. Yes. My body is not in this room. It is in a cave somewhere, somewhere dark, somewhere fecund. Soy mujer de barro. Dirt in the creases of my flesh, between my toes, beneath my tongue. The animal kicks inside me. And that's all the sign of life I need. I am a fem- I am female essence relieved of all burden. There is nothing else required of me but to dwell here pregnant. I make love to it, the life. Beautiful. I love that because it's, it really, whenever I, you know, I, I speak to a, a new mom or a mom-to-be, you know, um, and I say, my mom used to always tell me, like, Marta, Number one, when you first look at your baby, se te va a hacer feo. Está feo, se parece, you know, looks like a lizard. Like, you know, she's like, it's going to, he's going to, and it's, you don't feel love right away. She said, it feels when it's moving inside you, it feels like, you know, like an alien or like a, and, you know, and as he would move (laughs) and I could see his hand or he would just stretch and my belly would swell. I remember just feeling like, whoa, like just letting it happen. And, but it, it did feel so um, foreign um, in many ways. But I think that it took, that was also a kind of building a, a relationship with him, you know, in many ways. And so um, part of what I love about how you write about it, again, is that, is that, that animal part that folks don't really describe, I, or I've never seen it described in this way and the interesting part and we could t- about, talk about time and connections is soon after that I make love to it and the life um, I see Cinco de Abril which is the date that my son was born mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know <laughs> yeah. and um, this beautiful uh, quote that you have thereafter she knew the beauty and bearing witness to the harsh materials of human struggle need never contradict each other, you know. And of course, we know that you went through a lot of, of, of struggle in um, uh, Rafael Angel's um, birth. Um, and what happened in that he, he came early, three months early, um, and you write about this, um, and we're really experiencing the fear with you and all of the things that you're thinking about. And this is where 
um, el susto, right? You start writing about that deep sense of susto or the fear, right, of death. And um, death is kind of all around you. You're talking about Ted Teddy's death. Audrey Lord dies uh, during this time. Cesar Chavez, Rodrigo, your paternal abuela, your uncle. Um, um, and so, and again, in talking about uh, about um, motherhood and and the corporeal part, you talk a lot about ble bleeding. You bleed several times before you go into the hospital. Um, you experience and how you always tied it back to your writing and the creativity, like part of the process of going through this, you would always come back to the writing. Um, and so I'd like to go to page 19 at the top. If you're enjoying the Haymarket Live series, you'll also be interested in a new book from Haymarket, Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win, Five Decades of Resistance in Chicago's Uptown Community by Helen Schiller. This book tells the fascinating true story of an individual radical organizer turned independent Chicago City Council member and her 40-year struggle for justice in Chicago. Rosana Rodriguez Sanchez, Alderwoman for Chicago's 33rd Ward, says Helen Schiller's work inside and out of the Chicago City Council is a model for all those seeking to make real change in the world. From her tireless work challenging gentrification, police abuse, and homophobia, Schiller never lost sight of her roots, and always put the struggles of poor and working class people first. No matter where you live and organize, there's much to be learned from Helen's inspiring and courageous life. Read this book. Find Daring to Struggle, Daring to Win at haymarketbooks.org. When I get to the Kaiser Clinic, I go straight into the staff area looking for Nurse Eileen. She's gone for the day, they say. But I'm bleeding, I respond. And then I hear her voice. Cherie, is that you? She enters the room, her round, freckled face wrinkling into a frown. When I see her, I am no woman, no future, no thought. I am all present, all girl child with baby. And I cry to her, I'm bleeding. She rushes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> okay, anyway, I'll be trying. Okay. She rushes me into an examination room and feels for the baby with groping hands. At that point of contact, I feel my baby move up to meet her open palms. I know my baby is whole and complete inside. No miscarriage. The heavy bleeding due to polyps sloughing off from the cervix. When I read this, I also feel like crying. You know, because my son also had, I at three months, you know, um, I wasn't really showing yet, but I started bleeding really heavy too. And I thought, that's this is it. And I tried so hard to have him. I wasn't conceiving very well. But but I know the, the terror of that and that, that feeling that um, but you can't control it. Um, but when they finally put a little, you know, the monitor, I saw him moving around and remember thinking I was so relieved. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that vulnerability that, and it doesn't matter. It, it's not my experience, but as I read it, I, I sense your, your, um, fear. Ese mismo susto. Sí, sí. No, es la, la misma cosa. Sí, sí, seguro que sí. And the whole, I mean, I think that's the thing about, I mean, you, I think you had mentioned this too about when I, of giving birth, that whole act of giving birth. And, um, my sister was there, you know, and my partner at the time and my sister and um, 
And it was so, so I kept saying, it's just so animal, right? And so partly what, my sisters had four children, all natural childbirth and everything. And and what was sort of my secret was that, which I write about, is that, I, there's not a better way to say this, but I was I was used to vaginas, you know, as a queer <laughs> woman, I was used to vaginas, and so when I when I when when you smell the birth and you're smelling the blood yeah. and you're smelling all this stuff, you know, like that, it felt it felt um, one so animal again, completely animal. And when I say that, it's like there's a freedom in that that you mm. can get to stop thinking for a minute that you're just. This is your job. You just gotta get this baby, you know, do this, you know. And I, I, you know, and Rafa was very premature, so it's like, this is my only time in which that happened. Mm-hmm. And, and, but the smell, you know, it's like, and then afterwards, and people t- talk about, you know, so you still, you, you still have, you know, stuff coming out of you, you know, even mm-hmm. after the afterbirth and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, and it smelled. It was like the sweetest smell in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was sweet. Mm-hmm. So I say to Joanne, and you know, it's like, yeah, so I, I, my sister and I go, Joanne, why didn't you tell me it smells so sweet? And she goes, I know. I go, what do you mean you know? You know, <laughs> it's like, you knew this? And she goes, yeah. And I go, well, I thought that was just my little lesbian secret, right? It was like, <laughs> it was like she goes, I know. Isn't it wonderful? Because what wow. was great about her saying that is I knew it was privately hers. You know, yes. as a heterosexual woman, it was yeah. privately hers, you know, which I appreciated, you know, but it was, it, anyway, I just think that was hilarious, frankly, it was like, just, uh, just, that was really, that was sweet, it was sweet. Well, you're lucky to have experienced that as, as you, you got to push your son out into the world and you did it a cappella, as they say, right? Mm-hmm. As in oh, like, yeah, um, cappella, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As in no epidural. Well, he was little, you know, he was okay. little. But still, that was my, that, well, that had been the plan all along, you know. But then he came precipitously, but it was, and, and he was born quite well. I mean, his lungs were strong, everything. And yeah. it was really just getting this infection aroused. They were surprised that he was just so well, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. and, you know, he was a fighter. Later, you had complications. I actually had had to have an emergency C-section after laboring for 27 hours. And it was, and I never dilated past 20, uh, uh, eight centimeters. So it was really hard to just be strapped and as a cross, you know, and um, to have just kind of the play-by-play by Quetzal telling me like, Marta, he looks just like you. Oh my God, yeah, he's, yeah. Opening, he's opening his eyes. They got the head out, or like, and my body's yeah. just moving. And yeah. it's just, oh my God, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. But it never, you never forget that. And um, anyhow, it's just, it's so. You're right. It's so visceral and, and beautiful. And so I, I got to smell some of the. I think I was just out of it though. At but the, no, the other point. thing I want to say <laughs> is that there's a. You're, that's very true because that's the other part of it, right? I mean, it's like, you know, I was, you know like less than it was like three hours you know like i mean of of you know real labor right and my mm-hmm, sister mm-hmm. is an expert so she kind of she saved me hours of labor i mean there was one point i just where she said i go oh i feel like you know like you like to go to the bathroom yeah yeah and and then she says that's the baby i go what because that's the baby get and she made me get on all fours which was so painful to do Aww. but in the bed i got on all fours right after that the baby was going to come See, that's amazing. I mean, she knew what to do. And yeah. and so my point being, too, is that that phenomenon you described is happening all over the place 
you know, in, in the AMA, right? Is that they tell people, they bring them in too early for one thing. They just, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and particularly if it's your first baby, that happened with our, our daughter. It's like her first baby. They, she was in there for three days or something, you know, like, and eventually it's, they gave her a cesarean. And, yeah. I, and we weren't convinced. We kept going. We had to, had to leave town because my son was graduating. And, and we felt like if we had stayed, maybe that wouldn't have happened because, you know, they were scaring her. It was her first baby. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. the baby's stressed. The baby's stressed. And you hear yeah. all of this stuff. So it's really hard. There's a really good a woman who, um, uh, Donna Davis, uh, who's an anthropologist, African-American woman, who does all this work on what happens to African-American women. You know, she oh, works on reproductive yeah. rights and yeah. how they mess with them, you know, yeah. like, and, and, and for other women of color as well. Yeah. So what you're saying is really, really important for know to know. It's not all like, oh, it's mostly sweet, you know. It yeah. is. There's that other side of of really not being allowed, us not being allowed to trust our bodies, you know. And not Absolutely. especially if it's your own baby. I mean, it's your first. Right. You know, you have no point yeah. of reference, you know. Right, right. It was very scary, and everything ended up being fine. I, I did have a, have to, I had to stay in the hospital. Uh, almost a week because I kept getting like a low grade fever. And it's interesting. My grandmother died at my age, uh, at that age, 32, after having given birth, you know, and having labored too long. And so I was really scared. My mom was scared. And she said, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Ahorita ya que te lo saquen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be like, okay, okay. So I was just going by what everybody else needed, you know, not really thinking and really checking in on myself and stuff. So you're very lucky in that way. Yeah, uh, to have had your sister there, and you know, really, and Ellen, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. so yeah. yeah, your partner at the time, which you mentioned throughout. I have to say this: um, Ellen is mentioned and holds your hand through this the entire process, and it's really beautiful to see your connection, and then of course your 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 di- the slow distance that begins to happen um, amongst you both. Yeah, well, because it co- covers like a three-year period after the yeah. birth, you know. Right. She was amazing. I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know, like a real war- real warrior woman in terms of like, you know, fighting for our rights too because people, the assumptions at that time, you know, you come in as two women and every single time we come in to see the baby, it would be like, well, who are you? You mm-hmm. know, it's like mothers, well, who are you? You know, and there yeah. was, well, we weren't doing any co-adoption thing or anything like that. And that was, a, that was our agreement and what, I, you know, both of us agreed to. So I'm the mother on record and all this. And, and so it was always a battle. Always mm-hmm. a battle. And mm-hmm. she, yeah. I mean, she was, she was great. I'm, I've always, I'm beholden to her forever for how she um, really was very courageous. Yeah. And, yeah. So as I mentioned earlier, there are three parts um, to, our, to our folks listening. Um, there are three parts to this uh, book. And the third part is all about your growth and struggle as a mother, artist, Chicana, once Rafael Angel is out and born. Uh, it's the change over time with sections titled like with titles such as You a Mama Now, <laughs> An Uncertain Grace, Metamorphosis, La Sanambula, which I totally get, which is means like a sleepwalker, right? Um, and Blood Matters. Um, and it really talks about how motherhood, motherhood makes you pay attention in other ways. For this, you call your son teacher son, which I love. My son has been my teacher. He's amazing to this day. Like I'm, I always say this, he's his own person. And you're right. They have their own histories. They come to teach us so much. Um, so I can really relate to this. So 
um, even though we're kind of completely, um, I'm looking at the time and I'm kind of rushing a little bit to, for us to, uh, skipping sections that I think we can come back to is um, to the top of page 105. Um, if you could start reading from seeing through 105. Um, the, then the words come to me, fall asleep to wake up. Uh, yeah, you can, you can take it from there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's just the paragraph beginning. It's the English major in me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Then the words come to me, fall asleep to wake up. That sudden forgetting of self in the act of wholly living a moment. It is a Zen notion to be sure but seldom so completely realized except through the gift of one's teacher's son. Seeing through his fresh and innocent vision, Rafaelito is my lens, the prescription for these aging and forgetful eyes. All is about an acute awareness, waking up to those moments in our lives when there exists nothing else but this simple word footprint, my child's original mark upon the planet. I'm here, sweet earth, it proclaims. There is no yesterday, tomorrow, or last year. Yet there is all of it. The brittle bones of our antepasados, the heavy hearts of lovers, and whole years lost to sleep, which dissipates in the unselfconscious and thoroughly present naming of the imprint of a child's foot in the sand. So I remember him just going around going, footprints, 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 because he was asking me what it was. I, I go, footprints, yeah. he was running around. In yeah. I, when I would nurse my son, nothing else could slow me down. I had to, he liked to just lay there. And sometimes I'd be annoyed, like, ah, oh, stick cabrón. <laughs> and I'd just like lay there sideways as he'd suckle. And sometimes he just would suckle a little bit and then he'd look at me yeah. and he'd smile. <laughs> Kind of just wanted to hang out, you know, really not, no porque tenía hambre, wasn't because he was hungry, he was just wanting to spend time with me. And sometimes I'd get really annoyed, and other times it would really slow me down, and I'd just look at him like, wow, look at him. He's growing so fast, he's so chubby now, he's so this, he's so that, and um, nothing else can draw me away from music and all the other shit I felt like I had to do. Yeah. And so there are so many moments like this um, that you talk about. Um, but then you also struggle with, right? It's not like it was all in terms of, of the art um, um, and how you struggled to, to stay a writer. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, you know, I always thought, I mean, the, one of the things is I thought that um, – when I did, you know, for some time I'd been thinking, I think like in my 30s, I began thinking about that I, I actually occurred to me I could, probably, I could have a child. I'd never been pregnant, but I, I thought, oh, I, I, technically I could have a child, you know. Mm -hmm. And it really had never occurred to me. And so, and then there was a period of time in which I actually, I was with a woman who had a child. And I was right. raising him. And I realized that, that I didn't necessarily have to be a biological mother. But what I needed, what I liked about raising a child is that I, 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 I had to think of somebody else, not mm. myself. 
and also not another adult. You know, like mm. I, I think I say in the thing I've been nursing women my whole life. Not one is like, not my mother, not the girlfriend, not that. You know, it's just like they. Yeah. It just was unequivocal, and I liked who I was being that way with this child. You know, mm. mm-hmm. kid. Joel. It was Joel, right? Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the name I put to him. But he, okay. he was. Um, you know, I had him for, you know, I was raising him for three years, and 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 then I, the reason why I just I thought, okay, I'm gonna, I want to have a kid, because I like, I like what it brings out of me. You know, mm-hmm. I like who I am. That's a part of myself that I want to get to know better. And and um, so it takes some years to figure those things out. You know, it's like that. You know, yeah. and um, but so the thing about the, but now I forgot what we were saying, because you asked me. About um, how, you know, in terms of art, um, your oh, yeah, art. Yeah, yeah. 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 So the thing is, is that so, you know, so I and so what happened is that like around, you know, 38, 39, like that. And the, and uh, and I was looking at 40 and I said, well, now I know that I didn't know at 20 something, even probably even my early 30s or whatever. Until my mid 30s, really. Now I know I will always write no matter what. So I didn't have to worry about motherhood taking me away from my writing. And I think that young women, young artists, of course, struggle with this. You know, it, right. because you're having a baby when you're young and it, it really does. That artist, it doesn't necessarily fulfill what you need as an artist. And I think that's sort of mythology, you know, that mm-hmm. it doesn't. But it fulfills something great. But it's not necessarily fulfilling a part of you as an artist, right? Right. So, right. so because I had been doing it, you know, for a long time, I had been, I had already been publishing and writing plays and all of that. At that age, at forty, I knew I, I would always write, but it didn't mean I wasn't trying to get to it all the time, you know, and which, you know, which isn't always possible. So, um, I always. I mean, even, I always used to laugh at it, you know, like I always had to tell these stories about even when he's, you know, like a little guy and when they, uh, I'd be at the typewriter and, and I'd have yeah. a brain down there, you know, and yeah. they'd be on my lap and then I'd be like this, you know, next thing. And I and, and then he'd give my face and go, like, look at me. Uh. <laughs> and, and, it's, and of course, it bring, you just love it. You know, it's like it changes yeah. it. Even when he was like five and then, and. I would be in, I'd shut the door. I think I told you this story. I'd shut the door and I'd say, when the door is shut, I'm working like that, you know, like that. And he was a kid announced. He didn't need me every minute, you know, like that. Uh And then sure enough, under that door, I'd get this little, I'd see this little piece of paper coming under the door. (laughs) And I'd see the little piece of paper and I go, okay. And I look at that, mom, I need that. Like that. But you know, that's sort of the, that those one thing I can say though, what I learned about writing in this process, and maybe you know this as an artist, it's like I got really efficient at it. Like yes. I, yeah, the right? I just got no no, I don't have any time for bullshit. It's like I'm gonna no no, I got really I got my editing was better. I mean things just moved, man, because you can't indulge, you know, you can't just, you know, contemplate an ombligo. You gotta you gotta work, you know. <laughs> and so I I always I go, damn, am I getting better at this or what? Because uh, you know. It was, you know, it was funny. Yeah. You didn't always talk about it like that. You're talking about it like this now, but yeah. the, in the in the memoir, you you sort of like doubt yourself a little bit. Um, and I think that might be on page eighty. Um, uh, well, I'm sure you're that. right. <laughs> 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 oh no, no, that's not the one. Um, okay, yeah, the bottom of seventy-two, and then the top of. Uh, 
page 72 and bottom of 83. So like, let's go to 72. I would love to hear you read it. Um, bottom of 72. Oh, there are those moments. No, no, no. In, no, in the winter, it's, it's top of 72. I'm sorry. Sorry. We waited from we waited, if you'd like. We waited. Now I wonder how long to wait for a cry to stop. Oh, yeah, I remember this time. Yeah, these periods were hard. Yeah. <laughs> now I wonder how long to wait for a cry to stop or what does cries mean? I am awake before and through the dawn while the rest of the house sleeps. There is a restlessness in me, not due to lack of sleep, but lack of confidence. My writer's heart feels stolen by the struggle for my baby's survival. That was really true. I miss the immersion into my writing terribly. Fear I will not be able to resurrect that impassioned momentum. My work and its requirements return, the teaching job, speaking gigs, the play commissions, but there is no sustained writing time. Such moments become fugitive intervals in a 24-hour clock of maintenance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> it's really, right? In our lives, right? I mean. Yes. But at some point, you're right. At some point, like, um, you know, I know, I know this much, that when I went to grad school, I actually started um, whenever Quetzal would say, I was very lucky because Quetzal would say, okay. I'm going to take him to a movie and then we're going to go to the park for a little while and then we're going to pick something up to eat. I'll text you to see what you want and then we're going to come back. So you have two and a half, three hours. I yeah. said, okay. And I would get right to it. You know, whatever yeah. it is I needed to do, I did it. They got back and, and then I was able to spend time with them, you know, yeah. because um, Sandino would really not let me work. If I was home, I'd have to just, Bien atenta, you know, to what he needed. Uh, but um, but it was really difficult. So there's also another passage on the bottom of 83. Um, you. This is so good. I mean, you really, uh, you're really a scholar. <laughs> <laughs> Are you? I'm a fan. I'm okay. a fan, Shereen. Okay, fan scholar. Okay. Uh, but a fan uh, scholar and, and um, admire este posi. Um yeah, whichever, you could start as from I remember or from, but I feel no okay. such resolve. I remember the astrologer assuring me 42, she said, will mark the end of the seven-year cycle, a breakthrough of an old pattern, she predicted. You will have resolved your relationships to such a degree that they will no longer serve as obstacles to your writing, end quote. But I feel no such resolve, not today. This much I know, I will never write the same. Maybe that is part of the metamorphosis the astrologer predicted. With the appearance of Raphael in my life, I can never return to the writer I once was, not because of time constraints, which are considerable, but because my soul is never completely empty in the same way. I have to remember that. <laughs> like, mm. She's right, what she just wrote. <laughs> I, am, I am conscious of another entity always pulling on me, yep. I don't know really how the Medea play merged even in the rough form the work presently wears, but the writing did not feel the same. Ironically, it did not take a piece of me in the same way earlier writing has. It is no less challenging, but now an aperture has been created through which my child passed, and the art seems to move through the same opening. I can't say how exactly, only that there is a permeability in the process that wasn't there before. So that, 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 I mean, that reminds me that, that, that maybe that's why it gets, on a certain level, it is easier 
too. You know, like you've already been kind yeah. of ruptured open, you know. Right. So yeah, the digging is not, it doesn't have to be so profound, you know. You understand? And I, and I love that. And, and, and can you read just that last next little paragraph? Sure. I am trying to be a mother who writes well. I'm trying to be a writer who mothers well. Somewhere inside me, an opposing force rises up to stop one or the other. Perhaps it is the measure of that very aperture that leaves me awestruck by the breadth and depth of its promise or more sobering of its requirements. I love that. That artist. <laughs> <laughs> I I I wholeheartedly agree. I feel like um I used to love to tour. I used to love to just play music and and you know, stay out all night, maybe party afterwards, right? Part of the socializing that happens. But uh once my son was born, you know, at some point I realized we couldn't tour the same and he talked really early. So he would demand to sleep in his bed when we'd be in a, in a dirty green room. He'd be like, ¿Qué estamos haciendo aquí? Yo me quiero ir a mi casa. You know, <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, shit. You know, he's it, it's his life. But I still wanted to be connected to my craft, you know, and I missed it. But then I also was taking his growth and his life so seriously. And so it was and it was never the same. And at some point, I could maybe leave him one night with my, with my, um, my a family member, my my mostly my sister or um, my sister-in-law and his grandmother. Um, but I, or or just for a couple of hours, and I could never concentrate. I was always I was never the same kind of musician. Mm. And I and in my case, you know the physicality of what it takes to be a singer really also changed. Oh. You know, my voice changed, my voice dropped a little bit, you know, there were all this, this physical um, aspects of what I couldn't do anymore. And that I, because I wasn't in it the same way. Yeah. And so I just the the balance that you're describing here and, and what one takes from the other, but also inspires. But I would say that my songwriting got a little better, but I, I mean, I, I see here how as a writer, the way in which you describe it is just beautiful. Um, anyhow, I just wanted to say that. Um. <laughs> oh, thank you for no, but thank you also for that that reminder. You know, it's you know I think always the same. <laughs> Even to this day, you know, and you know, um, Celia, you know, is also an artist. So you know, the kids grew up with us. You know, and at a certain point, you know, I you have you know I would just have to say this is the mother you got. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm sorry, this is a mother you got and she needs to write, you know. And yeah. it's like kinda and, and because you you are giving plenty, you know, it's different if you feel like you're really depriving them, you know. But it's like but but also then what you're the message you're giving to them, you know, to your children, you know, is that you have a life. Yes. You know? Which hopefully that then shows them they can have a life, you know what I mean, that, yeah. that is, that, you know, oh, my parents have a life, you know, have lives, you know, yeah. so it, it's, and, and we don't know all of those things, you know, it's sort of sometimes counterintuitive, you know, yeah. but I remember at the point in which I got to, it's like, you know, I wasn't a soccer mom, you know, I wasn't, I was gonna, you know, it's like, I wasn't, I didn't do that, I just, you know, you have this queer family, and we're artists, and, you know, and he used to get, he was upset because, um, I would travel like I had to do. I had, you know, yeah. money, man, you know. So yeah. I had gigs, and I did a lot of gigs, and I would have to do them so that I'd only stayed one night, 
you know, if it's, it was, you know, if it's an overnight trip, so I would dawn, I'd leave and then I'd stay one night and I'd leave it dawn over there and to come back. And mm-hmm. it, you know, and I remember the time when I finally didn't have to do that anymore, you know, but then Robin used to, then he would, you know, anyway, so my son used to then say, you know, to my partner, he go, Zeselia, he'd say, why don't, he goes, why don't you go anywhere like that? Why, you always have, why does she always have to go? And then say, it sounds great. So she just say, well, you know, she says, they're not asking me, Michal. They're asking her, you know. That. So, you know, because of the writing thing, you know. But, but, it, you're, uh, anyway. but you're right. At some point, you just have to they, you take them along. And it, I, I think that I really owe my partner a lot uh, for his help, just like you yeah. and Celia. You know, Quetzal was very like, Marta, this is what you do. You're a musician. Don't forget about that. You know, I remember the first time after I'd given birth, I was sitting there and I thought, okay, this is my life. What I lived before, that was amazing. I'm so happy I got to sing a little bit. And, you know, ahora es this mi vida, you know. But Quetzal would always say, like, Marta, no, you got to keep playing. We got, we're going to, we're taking with us, you know. Yeah, Did the full yeah. right, went to Mexico, lived there nine months. Like, he lived all over music. And now he's a prolific musician. He's fabulous. He's fabulous. <laughs> yeah. He's he amazing. is amazing. Get, yeah. uh, applying to all these different colleges now. And I'm so proud of him. And he's just, you know, um, yeah, and I and I love our our connection, Cherie. Again, thank you for for having me. I want to make sure we get to this part and to talk about time, okay. and the ways in which you talk about time, in this beautiful piece, the concept of time, or what you call intuitive consciousness, or what you call I've heard you also say an indigenous consciousness, right? Um, for example, Rafael Angel's battle as a baby in the NICU is the same. Um, you know, that took the life of uh, your friend Mirtha's father with the same name, mm-hmm. Rafael. And in a second, I would love for you to read uh, page um, 80, uh, where you talk about that. Um, and then our own cyclical connection, yours and mine, we're both Chicanas, artists, mothers, both having birth sons later in life. Um, uh, my son, um, I'm so grateful to this and reading uh what is just an awakening to my own heterosexual privilege in so many ways, um, and all the learning that I've done in over, over the last couple of years since my son is identified as queer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I say this with his permission, I just wanna say that. And, and in your journal entry of April 5th, of course, I mentioned that earlier, um, is when Audrey Lord passed. You're in New York and you're contemplating her death. I, too, had a complicated emergency C-section. I mean, there are so many different connections. And today, I don't know if you knew this, in t- thinking about connections in these ways is the anniversary of your Theo's death. Yeah, I saw about that. Right? Yeah. Which is uh, you chronicle at the end of your book. Yeah. But in thinking about time, I would love for you to read page 80, um, which is where you talked about um, I Light a Veladora from there. Okay. I light a veladora for him. Um, this is Mirta's uh, father, right? My yes. friend Mirta's my comadre. Yeah. I light a veladora for him and find the medal of San Rafael that Nurse Rose had given me. I hang it over the head of the flame. What did the old man die of? I asked Mirta's friend who had first relayed the news. An obstruction in the intestine, she responds. There was a blockage where the small and large intestine meet. Her words chill me. It's very serious. 
Yes, I answer, I know. And I wonder at the meaning of the news, that Don Rafael should die of the exact same condition that Rafaelito had suffered at birth, that I had named my son Rafael, never consciously knowing Mirta's father's name, nor that her brother, who had died in childhood, carried the same. Spirits become flesh, then give up the ghost of the body, only to become flesh again. Or so I have come to believe that there is meaning in this web we weave of human relations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's you know, and that, that's what I was saying, too, in the beginning of the, when I was talking about the medicine ceremony that um, when Rafa, you know, I, when he was, they had no name yet, in my womb, um, and then, you know, I don't know how many, how many, I guess we, that was just a couple of years ago, so about 28 years later, um, Rafael then goes to a ceremony um, with Celia's um, son, you know, who's, he's in his 40s, um, and the same the same person, the roadman, the spiritual leader who was conducting the ceremony when I was at, when I, when I was pregnant with him, now Rafa is in a ceremony with uh, William Baker. Mm -hmm. And William Baker um, is killed in an automobile accident right. on the way home, and so is his grandchild, right? And yeah. it was like that, you know, that that was the the last time, kind of the first and last time that Rafa saw him, you know. And those those things happen, and and it's not like it's not like the world revolves around us. It's not that idea, you know, that we're so special and these things that. But then, no, in okay. fact, there is a, an, an intuitive sort of uh, a level of connection that why we meet each other and why we witness births and passings and why and what the timing of it and all of that, right? It's just um, we we derive meaning from those moments, right? And I don't think it's a superimposition. I think it is really gen generated um, cognitively, you know, and... and um, uh, from a place of unco you know our unconscious source in that way you know so it's yeah they 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 chill you you know, the chills you to know that and mm -hmm. yeah yeah just, you know it just gives us me it gives meaning to our to the things that happen in life you know yeah and I've been thinking a lot about you know and and another connection that I failed to mention is sort of like in this great this moment um, on October 12th, actually, when this, I'm supposed to be really excited about this MacArthur Fellowship, you know, one of my closest cousins, um, you know, her daughter passed, you know, mm -hmm. um, she was 12 years old and, and I was so devastated, uh, we all are, by her passing, you know, and so I've been thinking a lot about uh, joy and, and death and, and, you know, loss and I, particularly a mother's loss of a single do uh, daughter it was yes. her only daughter you know and um it was sudden and it just i've been thinking a lot about that that fear you know and of course all of the fear that i experienced with my son um because he also has had uh uh, complications. He's as he was asthmatic because of. Um, I think it's because of the um, uh, C-section. Um, he's had a lot of um, 
allergies. He lost weight. At six months, he was um, hospitalized for like a week at Children's Hospital until they figured out what he had. And we figured it out and everything's fine. But he's had to live with uh, diet restrictions and things of that sort. And so just to have that fear of him when he was in the hospital that time, that whole time and it wasn't long, three months like what you suffered, but it was something that was really impactful and just filled me with so much fear. And then to have somebody so close to me suffer this great loss, you know, so like, again, death and thinking about reading about this book and all the meditations you have here has really helped me, you know, helped me think about and process this, this great loss that my, my familia has been through, you know, so. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry for your family it's a, that's what i'm saying these are inconceivable yeah you know, the heart can't hold it can't hold the yeah. information you know yeah. yeah yeah and um so now i'm i'm we're almost at time but i um i think that um, they're gonna start seeing some questions come through here but i wanted to finally ask you it's really beautiful to read rafael angel's afterward mm. <laughs> His perception of you know growing up, uh, the son of a, a in a in a very beautiful family, son of a very famous writer, and his perception and how he experienced again your susto and how he passed on the susto to him, mm-hmm. and so uh, I'm curious of of uh, what you think of his forward, your opinion about his forward, right. as a mom. <laughs> well, I you know I. Um, I, um, it was um, Stuart Bernstein, my, my agent, my representative, and uh, I, when he said, we talked about the book coming out again, and I said, well, I don't know, you know, it's like, you know, I don't know, because Ralph has to be okay with it, you know, I don't want to do it if it, you know, it's like kind of digging up all this stuff, and, um, and you know, I, it, it, the first time he read it, he didn't like it. And I was, and now he read it again. He's now he got it like that because he was, you know, it's like it, it wasn't a time to read it, you know. And so, but so 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 I said, well, I'd have to ask him. And then he says, uh, well, maybe he. I said because it's not his. It's it's my story. It's really not his, you know, like that. And then yeah, he says, well, maybe he want. Maybe he'll write something for it. And I go, okay. And he does. He's a writer. He is a writer. And so, yeah, beautiful so I, writer. I, so, I, so I go to him and I said, "We're gonna. How do you feel about the book coming out?" And he goes, "Oh no." It's like, "No, mom. Of course. You know, you, that's fine. You know." And uh, I said, "Really? It's okay." He goes, "Yeah, yeah. You know, just go ahead, do it." And then I said, "Well, would you like to write an afterward?" And he said, "Yes, right away," which really pleased me. And. Uh, uh, so and I really like it. I learned I learned from it. I learned from it. It's just again, you know, I just learned from it. You know how, and also you know, Susto's major. You know, and you do pass it on. You know, if you're the mother and you're afraid for them, they think, well, I guess I better be afraid for me. You know. Yeah. And there's no way. It, you know, it, it takes their own life experience to kind of to un, un, unwrap that knot. You know. And that's what's so hard when you're when you're protective, you know. So you're protective of your children, but in fact, sometimes you then you give the message that they need protection, right? Yeah. And so, so partly, you know, what you have to do, which is so anti-intuitive for a mother, is just say, you know, you're good. I would do that all the time. You're good. 
just go do this. You're good. I'm going, oh, we just get, you're good. <laughs> you're good. You know? <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, it's really hard. It's really, yeah. hard, you know, and we make mistakes anyway. It doesn't even matter. You know, you yeah. just, you just yeah. do what you have to do, you know, anyway. But I was very, very, very pleased. Very, very yeah. pleased with the piece. I feel, feel like it's, yeah, it's really beautiful, beautiful ending, you know, to this book and kind of, we're done. We're done with this, you know. I love that. And you're right. My son really now is old enough to wear, you know, he's a teenager, 17. And like I said, he's a queer boy, queer young man. And, and the fear of the world and how stupid this world is can, can be. I'm mm -hmm. so happy to see the, the movement of queer people in the world and, you know, the, the great pride and the families and the, the um, momentum that this movement has but I also fear for my son, you know, and, and I'm always like, before it was his health and, and now I'm just like, I start and he's like, mommy, stop. Really? Stop. Like, you can't do that shit. You have to, you know, and like, he's like, puts me in check, you know, I was like, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, anyhow, he's taught me so much about, and he's kind of had to sort of emancipate himself from me, you know, exactly. in so many yeah. ways. Um, and so it's very difficult as you mentioned. Um, I'd love for you, for us to close out before we take some questions. I was wondering if you could just read the very beautiful in terms of time and how beautiful this piece ends. And you end with from on page 119, starting with Rafael Angel. One nineteen, okay. Rafael Angel had been my messenger of death, not in any negative sense of the word, but in the profound comprehension of the unsparing miracle of the cycle of our lives. I could write that he is a messenger of life, but I know it is truer to acknowledge that my sometimes quiet sadness at the deepest moments of joy with my child has to do with this complete knowledge of impermanence. In the face of that knowledge, I visit my aging parents, bring my woman coffee in bed, and stroke the silk of my son's hair. This too will pass. Beautiful, beautiful, I love it. Thank you so much for this beautiful work. And I think we have not just this fan right here that has a bunch of questions for you, <laughs> which um, we got through most of them, I have to say. Um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we have some in the chat that were given to us. Okay. Um, so the question is, if you were to write about this experience for the first time today, would you change anything about how you would write about it? That's a great question. Well, I think that, that um, I have. I think that, you know, like when I wrote you know, and everything, I, if you look at Chicana Codex, the two things that, that two kind of, and I, I call them like the, the bookends of my life or the, the birth yeah. of my son and the passing of my mother. So actually those things are, those two points um, are threaded through a lot of my work already. Native country of the heart, um, certainly um, I write about, you know, queer familia and so I feel like it, like the way I would write about it is the way I write about, it, which I think is much more integrative now, right? Mm. It's, um, uh, 
Yeah, and I think what, where I read the preface that I began with, and it's only a small part I read of it, but um, indicates how I would look at it now. Because mm-hmm. that's the language I would use in that, you know. So I think it's a really good question. I appreciate the question. And I think that it's just simply after 29 years, too, of being with this other human being, you know, who's has his own road, has their own road, um, I, I really write a lot about queer familia, and that and that has marked not only his growing up, but the two granddaughters that we that came into our lives through Celia that became like his siblings in different ways, and mm. family, the people that come through our door, and then uh, our time really growing up in in Oakland with the with our community, which was really you know a lot of a. Uh, our African American sisters that were do we do your Ruba ceremonies one minute and then we do we have lodge in the backyard and they just grew up around all of that you know mm-hmm. so those are the things that I write about often and and Rafa is a key he was a key component of that I, I remember in one of the intros to Bridge I think it was a 2015 one and it was no it was after no it was after 9/11 and I talk about mm-hmm. that the kids are out there. And, you know, it's like they go through nine. It opens up. They're eating their, you know, avena, and nine eleven is happening, and mm. so it's just in, it's the whole. It's always a part of it, and and then we have a ceremony with nine eleven after you know, to bring people together to talk about the war, that trying to keep the war away, and you know, and the kids are hearing it all. They're hearing it all, and then later it starts to rain, and they. They go out and they're dancing in the rain, you know, under the thunderstorm, and these are. Mm. It's like. It's our lives, right? It's just our lives. So I think that it it just remains a very integrated aspect of one's life. Beautiful, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Um, okay, I'm going to get to the next question. Um, what was your son's relation to the book? You talked a little bit about this. Your son's relation to the book before writing the afterward. Did that change over the last several decades? Well, he didn't read it when he was young. I did. I did not have him read it at all. I mean, he read it relatively in the last several years. He read it, mm-hmm. and the, and the first time, you know, I mean, I can't really speak to, to that much about that. I mean, that's his. You know, it's like um, it was unsettling for him in the beginning, and then he did return to it again. And I think there was like a, um, as a writer, mm-hmm. you know, as a writer, he, I, I think he approached it really as a writer more than as my kid, mm-hmm. you know, which I liked. And so him writing is great, you know, I feel like, you know, like, you know, it's like even playing field, this is good, you know, good like that. And um, and he was so willing to do it, which told me then that he was, it had settled in a good place, you know, with him. You know? But I definitely never had him read it when he was young. You know? Okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not really interested in. In what we do, right? No, and we're not interested <laughs> in our opinion of them either. You know, it's like, yeah, like, exactly. It's not about him, you know, it's about me. You know, that's really. right. Yeah, that's right. Wow. So uh, another question is: uh, Do you have any plans for an audiobook? Not for. Uh, they're not. Uh, I did an audiobook for Native Country of the Heart, which I really I love doing it. It's so I really love doing it because I love reading. As you can probably see, I really love reading, and I, you know, I don't like acting, but I have to. I have to, as long as I can hold something in my hand. That I'm not an actor; I'm just a reader, so I, I like that. Um, 
but yeah. it, it really is up to the, you know these things are really up to the publishers you know and okay. and so and and uh, that was a uh, Native Country of the Heart was a was a New York house and they have a lot of money you know mm-hmm. so they you know there's ways in which they there's other opportunities you get through a New York house and uh, but uh, so I don't know that's a good question if they want one they should ask the the publishers they're great press they're really one leftist press I'm really happy I'm in super good company Beautiful. among the authors there for him I say, I say we email Jim Plank at haymarketbooks.org. Okay, there you go. <laughs> Jim at haymarketbooks.org. If you're listening, you email. should do that. The publishers, <laughs> Anthony Andrew, just look it up, look them up, and that's good. That's how it happens. Maybe. Uh, Thanks for the question. Beautiful. Yes. Well, I don't. Th- I, I I could have sworn that he posted another a uh, couple of uh, of questions, and I don't see one here. But um, it is 5:25, and. Uh, I just wanted to, um, if uh, it, it makes me think about um, how both our lives changed with the birth of our sons as artists, as Chicanas, as uh, uh, mujeres in the world, and um, I wanted to, uh, you know, as I as I said last night, I, I texted you a song that we had uh, that I'd written actually as I was. Um, because I, I kind of had to return. I used to be a substitute teacher. At some point after I gave birth to my son, I'd have to pump at a as a substitute teacher during the lunch hour. And with my oh, longing for music. What you're talking about. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so I wrote a song called Breast Pump Waltz. And um, to your request, I just wanted to share it with you. But you're like, you should, yeah. you should share it. And so uh, maybe we can go out with this song. And I want to say the reason why I want you to share. I mean, I thought it was great you did that. You're just, you're just, you know, it's music. You know, every you're hearing the rhythms and all of that. But also because there's a tone in it, because it says a thing. Your life is going to change, you know. And so I feel like I like that. I, I, it's a good vibe. It's a good vibe to just say, "Rec, you're there, and you, everything before you is going to be different now." You know. So yeah. it's, you're great. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, and so. This reminds me of, of, of saying, like, you know, I would, I would um, love to work on, on things with you, write anything you ever want to put music to, please send it to me, Man, and right. I would love to sing your, your words, because just reading it uh, alone, to me, I heard so much music, just like I heard when I was pregnant, and I, and I, you know, sometimes I didn't always have the ability to just get up and go play or get up and do the things, and so that's what I heard in this song, and so I I'm going to... Marta, I mean, if you find a spot in it, take it, take it. Yeah, you know, okay, yeah. okay, yeah. 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 That would be, I'd, I'd be honored by that. Okay, well, I'll, I'll yo, uh, yo te aviso ahead of time to make yeah. sure that you know what, what I'd be taking up and, and making mine and music, uh, you know, and, and of course, uh, always uh, with that uh, respect and love. Um, and thank you so much. I think that um, we are going to say good night. And we're going to end with this song, playing this song. Uh, Sean's going to play it for us. And I want to thank everyone um, at Haymarket Books. Um, This is, again, Waiting in the Wings, Portrait of a Queer Motherhood by Sheree Moraga. We've had a wonderful discussion. I am so honored to be a part of this historical moment. And um, I encourage everybody to just order it, gift it, 
to folks, Christmas is coming up. You know, this is just mm -hmm. one of those things that you have to read and have in your library. Um, I think every Chicano Latino Studies uh, library needs to have it, every Chicana in every household and uh, beyond, uh, um, you know. So I encourage folks to go out and get it. It's so beautiful. And uh, um, gracias. It was a pleasure to be with you. I really, I really, it, it, you just said yes right away and it makes me feel really, I don't know, just in, I always say in good company, in good company, you know. So I wish you and your family every blessing and, you know. Seguimos para adelante, ¿no? O sea, sí, yeah. sí, igualmente. Gracias, gracias. Gracias por invitarme. ¿Ah? Gracias por invitarme y por pensar sí, en sí, mí. Seguro que sí. Sean, thank you. Thanks. like this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.